I'm in the queue for the financial aid from the investment bank in Berlin. I'm currently at what? I'm at spot 44,803, which is pretty amazing because when I checked this morning, I was it was 90,000 plus. So I don't know in what kind of rhythm they're working, but it seems to be going really fast. So... Uh, yeah, I'm sitting in front of my computer and checking the progress of this waiting uh, line. I'm pretty grateful that we have this because really I just lost all my jobs. Like I have zero job at the moment. It's pretty scary. Good morning, Marty, or good evening, I think. Um, probably nighttime at yours. Here's my pitch. I want to do a conversation podcast with you and have a conversation about our perspectives in this current situation that is a global phenomenon that everyone is experiencing maybe in a little bit of a different position in the timeline with different scenarios around us, different cultural reactions to it, different fears and similar fears, coping mechanisms and so forth. And yeah, that's my idea and I would love to do that with you. And now the phone rings, I have to pick that up. Let me know what you think. Welcome to Across, a weekly conversation with a friend or with a friend of a friend somewhere in the world, somewhere on the Corona timeline. Across is for checking in with each other, see how we're doing, how we're coping and what's on our minds during this crazy time. The conversation is completely open, no script. We go with the flow. Only two things are brought to the table, one local news item and a recommendation for an artist. I'm Kathleen, and today's episode number one. I speak with... I'm Marty. I'm 37 years old. I live in Ballarat, which is in Victoria in Australia. I work for a union, and so far, this is... I'm not sure of the exact day, but I've been working from home for a month or so, and I think the first case of COVID was on the 25th of January. It's 7 p.m. here. Yeah. Cool. I think I do the same because I have to to introduce myself as well, I guess. I'm Kathleen. I'm 40. That's a problem. Am I 42? Or am I 43? I think I'm 43 years old. I'm in Berlin since yesterday again, back home. I'm a freelance producer and writer and editor and on the Corona timeline, um, I think I've been home since my last day of work was on the 16th of March, but that was also already a weird last week of like not touching and being hyper careful, but we needed to sort of wrap up a project that was interrupted anyway. It is Sunday, 11 a.m., two minutes past actually, our status. Is that the right thing to say? Our status is a friendship. Yeah. A long-lasting friendship. Like sometimes there's months and sometimes it feels like there's even years in between where we do not hear so much from one another. And I think it's a normal situation. But it's also really interesting that this whole corona crisis brought us back closer to one another. Also because we all have more time in a way, I guess. And yeah. well, maybe it's not that we have more time, but we are at home more or basically all of the time. So I can reach you during a time where you would normally be away for work or something. Like I did actually, like remember a few weeks ago, I asked you uh, super early in the morning where <laughs> like a time I would never dare to call a German friend. I checked with you if you were up and if you could proofread a text uh, uh, quickly and send it back to me and you, you were able to and you did it, which was really beautiful friendship proof. Um, I just checked um scrolling back on whatsapp and i saw that it was march 22nd that i sent you <laughs> i sent you a dolly parton oh, that's right. <laughs> song and then we started singing yeah. karaoke together apart on sunday mornings so it's nice that our recorded conversation now is also on a sunday morning well for me a sunday for morning you, yeah. and i must <laughs> say i'm missing the singing uh, the last time we sang was a duet with um 
Jason Donovan and Kylie Minogue. And I think it was sweet, but I also think I really needed it to calm my nerves. And now I'm not so nervous anymore. How, where are you? Where are you? Like, how are you? Where are you right now, Marty? Um, I guess for me, I go through a lot of periods of time where I quite like just staying at home and not particularly being social. So I, f I found the whole experience not to be too challenging. <clears throat> Obviously, at a certain point, you do want to see someone face to face. And for me, that's just going down to the shops. You know, that's the, the only real life contact I've got. But with all these platforms, of course, it's so easy. And like you say, like, because everyone's in the same uh, situation, you get these opportunities that, that weren't there before. So yeah, you know, I'm pretty okay. And, and working from home works for me quite well. So that's been interesting. So you're still working like normal hours full time just from home? Yeah. So before COVID, I was working four days a week and now I'm working five days a week because oh. the the volume of work increased because the union I work for represents allied health professionals. So of course, oh, fuck. you know, there were so many queries and difficult situations to, um, to think about. And the frustrating thing for everyone is, you know, there are so many questions and not enough answers, basically. I mean, I knew that you were working for a union, but I didn't know that you were working for a union that is actually looking at the health sector. So what is your role? Like, what is your work, your daily work that you're doing? So it's taking a lot of the calls. We, we split the calls, myself and a couple of colleagues, uh, you know, into blocks of a few hours each so that we don't get overwhelmed and we can do our other work um, more easily. Uh, but basically, you're the first point of contact And it, it's dealing with uh, anything from basic queries about uh, entitlements um, through to, you know, obviously the COVID-related stuff. And we've sort of restructured the way that we work so that um, the COVID queries go now to um, my colleagues who would normally be uh, off-site at meetings and, and all that sort of stuff. But obviously working from home, that's not possible I mean, they still do Zoom conferences and stuff with employers and with members. But yeah, because of the huge uh, increase in queries, we're now sharing them all amongst the team, where normally um, that would just be um, part of the team. Okay. Wow. Okay. This is like, don't get me wrong. I don't want to make any ridiculous comment here. But when you're on Zoom conferences with colleagues or with work, do you dress up? Like from above the <laughs> belly button. <and> <laughs> We've made a lot of jokes about it, but I, <laughs> I've been normally dressed. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to report. One of my colleagues does dress up. She dresses up. She sees it as an opportunity to, to put on her fancy clothes. Oh, that's nice. So there's no one who is like secretly wearing their pajamas or their like <laughs> socks with holes. <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. I was in the beginning, I was also, I had so many good intentions and I was like, I wrote myself a bit of a schedule because early on I was really scared that I was getting lost during the day. And also I was scared, like wasting time, but also I was scared not knowing what to do. And like there was a very high level of nervousness in me. And I also, it had an effect on my appetite. Like I didn't eat well the first week. So I really, it was basically like a rescue um, emergency structure that I artificially created so that I knew what I had to do, that I could refer to a point like, oh, it's 15 p.m. or like three in the afternoon. Um, I could do... Italian lesson now but also early on I had these good intentions that I would get up early in the morning and I got up really really early because the very few first weeks I had a super early job I had to be on the computer at 5 a.m and I I was proud to like get up and dress up like not my nicest stuff but at least like not jump into a jogging pants or anything but to dress up like to wear something like <laughs> uh, normal But now, I think the level of vanity, <laughs> I really don't give too much of a shit about it. Like I, I wear like washed clothes, clothes that are clean, but I don't necessarily <laughs> think about what I'm wearing. Um, yeah. 
anyway. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. It's it. I'm more focused on being comfortable rather than anything else. Yeah, comfortable, comfortable. That's it. Mm. Um, I do Corona solo. You do Corona solo, right? Yeah. Yeah. After almost two weeks of being home alone in Berlin and starting to feel really quite paranoid about the very few moments when I actually made it outdoors, like I was staying indoors a lot. And at some point I was like, come on, girl, go outside. And I did, along with all the other Berliners who felt like they wanted fresh air and be outside. And I think the majority of people were really um, taking a great effort to try and do the whole distancing stuff. But it was really difficult and it felt like traffic jamming, like walk traffic jamming. And we have like the widest field that I can imagine here is the, you know that because you lived in Berlin too, but the former airport, the Tempelhofer Feld, which is really huge. Like it's so huge and it has this open blue sky above you. And it's, it's always been my place where I would go when I felt like I wanted a bit of like Australia feeling. But now it was really traffic jammed there, like with pedestrians, riders, skaters. So I started to become really stressed about being outside here. And then my mom's apartment was available because she's basically moving someplace else, but she hasn't done the moving yet. And I rented a rental car and I drove there. It's 400 k's away from Berlin. And... The main reason was I wanted to be in the forest, which surrounds my hometown. That was one thing that I was really looking forward to and it was awesome. Also because I wanted to pick up my car that was waiting there in the garage, um, which is only good to be on the road like from the 1st of April every year and then only for half a year. Because I wanted to be more free here in Berlin to drive a bit further out of the city, like to get into the nature or to get into my weekend check. Oh, and then I ended up like I, I left Berlin on the 27th of March and planned to come back a week later, but I came back last night. Like I was there for three weeks and I don't know, like time is so blurry at the moment. Like it's so crazy to think about things that happened two, three or five weeks ago in the so-called current situation. And then about the stuff that happened just before this situation that feel like they're from another, they feel like they're from another lifetime, basically. Yeah. It's, it's strange how it's telescoped time and yeah, even more so it's like a groundhog day because you're just at home. Um, but I suppose the other element is that, I mean, it, it feels the same, but at the same time, because the situation is evolving so much, there's always something, there's some new element to it. And, and I find it really interesting to see how various societies are dealing with it in different ways. So it's hard not to sort of get overloaded by all the news because it is interesting. It is super interesting. Yeah. At the same time, I think, I think it's made me a little bit, um, it must be affecting me subconsciously more than I would have expected because my sleep has definitely been worse since since all of this. Yeah. What is it that worries you the most currently? I think um, th the good thing about what's happening here is that we, we seem to be flattening the curves. Uh, so the cases are going down on a daily basis and the hope now is that we might be able to eradicate it completely, you know, sooner rather than later, which is not what we're expecting But in terms of um, what upsets me is uh, just the, the work side of things because I'm often talking to people who are really upset because, you know, they don't have work or they've been around people who are sick or whatever it is. And norm normally, um, you know, you can – the good part of my job is that you get to solve problems. But at the moment, that's a really challenging thing to do and, and I guess that's mm – -hmm what um, is upsetting me. Yeah, that is pretty upsetting. Um, but there is nothing that stresses you, like existential stress, for example, that I feel like going through my system like waves quite a bit. So you don't have that? I think, um, I think to an extent, uh, yes. But that's, I don't think necessarily connected with covid i think that that is just a normal part of life um <laughs> fair enough <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah 
So that is true. Yeah, and I do, I do miss, um, I do miss obviously catching up with friends in the proper way because I actually don't, I don't particularly enjoy the Zoom experience because people end up talking over each other and I don't know, it's it's um, it's not quite as natural as as like it to be. Mm. Yeah, of course. Um, I think what I miss the most is really, I mean, of course, being social and doing normal things like going to a cafe and have a coffee or, you know, be in the park with friends or go to my sports class mm. or stuff like that. But what I miss most and what really often gives me a bit of a big tear to swallow in my throat is to not touch anyone and not be touched as well like sometimes I really wonder like if it's going to be a big deal if we end up all like making a decision who the first person will touch will be <laughs> and then it's like sorry Should you have sorry, a short no, list <laughs> no it's, it can't be you it needs to be like a super special occasion get out of my way <laughs> Oh God, it's so, oh, yeah. I know, it's, it's definitely strange. Well, yeah, it is very, very strange. And it's also a bit heartbreaking, but um, yeah, it, it goes and comes in waves. Like when it comes to my personal stress, it goes and comes in waves, but it also is with my reactions towards other stories that I hear, both near and far. Um, like in the, in the earlier times, like I, I mean, I still have this habit of watching the news daily and I'm reading still far too many newspapers, I guess, but I have reduced the intake of information because it did not make me happier or less stressed. But I think I'm sitting quite on top of the current status quo when it comes to both where we're standing here in Germany, but also when we look outside our windows and see how it is in other places and um but in the early times I basically cried over every news item I mean not like and now it's it's become different like now still there's moments that touch me so deeply the other day I was driving my car like over a street where there was a opened ice cream parlor and an old lady in her not her wheelchair I don't know what these things are called that like a push like a like a walking aid that, you know, that also comes on rolls and stuff. Anyway, and this older lady, she, um, she was sitting on her walking aid and all by herself as well and eating ice cream. And I just drove past and I needed to cry. <laughs> or the other day, I don't know why that was. It was all about like reporting that schools would start to reopen and I don't know. And I was, I don't know why. Usually I get really teary and emotional with older people and with animals. That's my weak points. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's very poignant. Children usually not so much, only when they're under like under attack or stress, then definitely yes, children. But like generally children, not so much. But right now I can't really control it sometimes. And also sometimes it really scares mm. me to see that I do not have a reaction, that I just consume it as an information piece and go like, whoa, what is happening to me? Yeah, I, I think I think that makes sense though. And I think it's a normal coping mechanism at a certain point because um, there's only so much your brain can absorb and there's only so much emotion that you can take on. And I always think of that. I don't know um, where I heard this from first, but I mean, it's a pretty basic principle that before mass media and everything, you know, hundreds of years ago, you, you would live in one Valley and you would know about the village in the next Valley. You wouldn't know about the whole world. And, you know, we're not really designed to, to take on all of that information. I don't think. But um, but apart from like, because um, you were saying how good it was to be close to nature, um, but I guess you, now you're back in Berlin, but um, not that you don't have access to it there, but it's a different thing, I guess. But are there any positives um, out of the situation, um, do you think, for you? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, certainly one thing that I said already was um, being back in touch with you, being in touch with other people that I wasn't so close with, 
who now become mm. really close. Like, I think the dynamics of my friendships are also changing, like not everywhere, but in parts that we are a bit warmer with one another. And do you mean me personally? Yeah. Yeah, I think mainly in the way that we interact on a social level. I think I've been, yeah, connecting with people on a very personal level that I would probably usually not be so connected to and think that is because we're all softer at the moment. Mm -hmm. But I also observe that, I mean, this crisis does not only make people nicer and softer, there's still assholes out there as well. Oh, totally. I must say, I think the, the fact that I was able to get into the nature really kept me sane. I think that's why I'm in actually quite a good mood overall, like, except for the moments where I'm tearing up, which even sometimes also are very beautiful moments. Then a super nice side effect is for, I guess, for the majority of women is to not wear a bra, <laughs> for example. <laughs> What else? This like being at home. I gave my plant a name. Um, I'm really lucky even though in the beginning people caught like friends with families called me and were like oh my god are you okay you're all by yourself and I'm like no I'm I'm good like hey I'm really used to this like I'm a pro but also I'm I'm feeling fine like I luckily I'm at a time in my life where I can hang out with myself without pissing myself off uh, that I look after myself try and eat well um and you know And also, I mean, I'm in a very luxurious situation, even though I'm a freelancer and often worry about existential thoughts, but I do have a very nice apartment. I even have a small little balcony, super nice neighbors. We're looking out for one another. And so far, knock on wood, there's no one affected here because we're all very mixed uh, age-wise. Um, then I'm lucky I also have a little summer shack in like like an hour drive away in the nature by a lake. So I have all these spaces that I could go to if the ceiling falls on my head, which is great. <laughs> um, so that's a that was a pretty lengthy answer to your question on what's been good so far. It's better that it's a long answer than a short one. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah look, I... I, I also am pretty spoilt in terms of, um, you know, my family has a holiday house that I could go to, but I can't drive. So that is a big impediment. <laughs> so, and also that with, with, at the moment, the restrictions are that you shouldn't really be going um, to, if you are lucky enough to have a holiday house, you shouldn't really be going there anyway, unless it's um, just one person. So there's no social events that's for sure i still felt guilty for my privilege yeah in the beginning when we were all under the shock and paralyzed and scared of the wave of uncertainty that was coming we were all like oh this is all affecting us equally and now it's i mean it's also no big news but it is not affecting us equally like people with more money with more space with more garden with more you know have it easier. So yeah, I, I think it's a bit mean to see that this uh, whole development of COVID is like a, a privileged versus not so privileged uh, development as well. Yeah. And you see with how a lot of celebrities have been, you know, having that line of, oh, we're all in this together. And then posting these really tone deaf things where you know, they're in their huge compounds. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's just, they're really missing the point. Um, so, yeah, you know, some people really must have no clue about their privilege to, to be to be saying things like that. But, you know. Yeah. Hey, because um, I'm so curious too, there is one rule to this conversation, and that is bring a local news. And I'm super curious what you brought. So maybe we hop on that train and you tell me what you brought. Uh, and I can tell you what I brought. Actually, I cheated a little bit because I sort of brought two news. I hope you will accept my breaking the rules. That's fine. I totally accept it. Um, I wasn't sure if it had to be COVID related or not. So 
Um, no. Mine is <laughs> mine is COVID related. Um, so maybe next time I'll uh, you know widen the net a bit. Um, but basically, what has interested me recently is was uh, this proposal by our government to, um, and they're, they're presenting it as a you know an optional thing. Um, so it's not like you have to, but there's an app that they're encouraging everyone to download so that they can track you if you, you know, are unwell and, and make sure you, that you don't, you know, go beyond your house. Let me just, hmm? just one, sorry, I, I'm interrupting because I have a little question. Is that, does that app already exist? Is it downloadable already? It's not available yet. So it's in development. Um, but yeah, I just find it interesting because within their own party, you've got about 40% of people saying, you know, or well, not 40%, but like a, a lot of people saying that they won't be using it because they've got privacy concerns as well. And I always think it's interesting when your own, um, you know, MPs, your own members of your party don't toe the line and, you know, parrot the message as they normally would. And so, yeah, there's this other company that says that they've developed something that wouldn't be an app and it would just use... So you, it would be not as personalized somehow. It would not compromise these privacy concerns um, so much. But I don't know if that's going to be accepted. But, yeah, I just found it an interesting one. Yeah, totally. And I like let's try and keep us updated on that one because I think we're on a very similar development status on that end because it's also everything here is also recommendations. And with that app that they're like they're testing out currently, I think with the military, weirdly, but um, they're testing it out. And it's also highly recommended to use it as a like voluntary information. And apparently also it doesn't connect all these private datas, like in South Korea, for example, where I heard this um, radio piece yesterday, where where it's so concrete, the information is so concrete and then published that it was like um, a female 22 years old working in this particular bar who goes to work at this time and leaves work at that time is sick. So it was completely clear. And then it tracked all her movements and it was basically real time followable on a computer side. And you could see that she's now walking to a supermarket or that she was visiting someone. And then with that amount of information, people were able to tell who that person was that was talked about so it was all about like i don't think actually it was about shaming there because i think in the, in that particular story it wasn't about shaming but it was like who was she seeing <laughs> like you know it's like anyway yeah i'm i'm very curious as well how this is developing and how fear versus our rights of liberty and the way we are used and how we are protecting our privacy is now really compromised with this But then, like, working with it can contribute to saving the situation quicker. So it's a big, it's a big challenge, a moral and ethic challenge, definitely. And I'm curious how we, like you and I, but also our friends will decide on this. And I think this will also bring up a lot of discussion and maybe even some, maybe some falling outs or something. Because I think, I think right now there's a lot of, like, Are you on that side or on that side of the fence kind of situation? Yeah, definitely. Okay, I bring the news item that is not so new and it's not so local, but I thought it was really important to bring it up anyway and I tried to make it a little bit more local. So um, we already heard from when the corona stuff was still basically a China story that was still far away, but they were locking down Wuhan and all these things that we learned already that some of the terrible side effects of this uh, lockdown brought up a really extreme rise in um, domestic violence cases. So I think I remember a number of almost up to 30. So we in Europe, when, or when the wave basically came to Italy and then spread into other countries in Europe, we were really aware that this was going to happen here as well. I think it was Spain who came forward with the idea, or France, 
um, to have a code word for women who are experiencing domestic violence at home in the lockdown. Um, and the code word was mask 19. So the idea was that pharmacies all over in COVID times are one of the few shops that are definitely always open and that a woman um, who is not able to have a phone conversation at home because the perpetrator sits right next to her, for example, uh, would be able to go to a pharmacy and then uh, say that code word over the counter and could expect help. And then I also read that in Germany, I mean, it was basically an information that I saw on Twitter, that in Germany, they were also trying to install that that code word mask 19. And then I was wondering, okay, what happens? Like, what do they do once you're standing at that pharmacy counter and say the word? I actually called three pharmacies, two in my hometown, uh, two pharmacies located in the inner city. So I asked them what would happen if I would stand in front of you and would say the word mask 19. And both of them were like, I have no idea. I would say we don't have it. Wow. And I thought, yeah, Jeez. then I called because I wanted to see if it was a different thing in a different place. And I called a pharmacy in Mitte, Berlin Mitte. And the reaction was like, yeah, I think we don't have it. And then, and then she was like, oh, wait a second. You mean that code word? And I was like, yeah. And then we talked about it. And yes, she read about it. And yes, she thought about what she would do, but it wasn't at the, at the front of her brain when I asked her. So it was still something that she was not prepared to react to. But when we talked about it, then she said, well, she would check if the person is alone or if someone is waiting outside. And mm. then she would lead her to another room where she could then call like the domestic violence line or like a therapist. And then from there, I don't know, question mark. There is ideas how to help and assist women who are under attack from domestic violence, but it's not worked out very well. Yeah, it's more more of a concept rather than a reality by the sound of things. Yeah, anyway, so that was the news that I wanted to bring in. And I'm, yeah, that that's something that I think we need to be aware of. Yeah. Okay, and then I have a second downer news. Do you hear the church bell? Yeah, I can hear it. That's nice. Yeah. Hey, just one question. Do you... Yeah. Because we're all in our houses so much, like I all of a sudden started hearing the lives of my neighbors. Like mm. the neighbor above me has two cats and they often gallop through the apartment. So I hear this, da-dum, da-dum, da-dum. And the little family underneath me, I mean, I hear them and I hear the baby cry every now and then, but nothing major. But now, basically, it feels a little bit like the walls are talking. Behind uh, my living room door, there's a family that I never heard a word from them before, ever. Seriously, it's like, it's such a strange feeling to realize there's that there's life behind the walls. <laughs> and I hear this, like, I hear... It's a whole new world. I think there are three. I've never seen them because we have different entrances, the neighboring house probably. And I hear there's a child and I think it's a mom and a dad and a child. That's how I picture it. Yeah. I think I heard a dog once as well. I think he was sniffing on the wall where I was on my sofa, but maybe that was also my imagination. So in the early mornings, the kid has a bit of a, I guess, a school or the morning tantrum. And then there is a, the nighttime, the going to bed tantrum, but Nothing that I think is worrisome. Oh, I have to call anyone. Um, but other than that, it really is sweet because I hear them play <laughs> and I hear them do this and that. And sometimes I hear them singing. And one day I heard the little family underneath me sing to their little child. And then just a bit later, I heard the other one singing behind my living room wall. And I was like, I felt that was a moment where I was like, all by myself. <laughs> <laughs> but what I wanted to say, long excursion. That here could be is, our next uh, duet. Sorry for the background noises. I'm, I don't have a professional studio. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Well, it seems. Yeah. <laughs> well, I actually made a recording of because um, I, I used to be in an apartment, but now I'm in, in my own house. Um, so I, I don't really 
have those surrounding noises apart from, you know, either side. Mm -hmm. And before I started working from home, I was aware of the the dogs in the neighborhood, but I didn't realize what I would be contending with during the day because they're quite quiet at night. And so I made a little recording to give you an impression of what, you know, might break my concentration a little bit. That is like the maximum that my ears can cope with. That's full on <laughs> highest tone barking. It's so, it's like, sometimes I get used to it, but I feel like that's even more depressing somehow. Is it like a really small dog, like hamster size? Lots of tiny dogs around here on on each side. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the challenges, I guess, for me. Mm-hmm. I did try and lead the conversation towards the news item that we both bring into the conversation. And then I totally went on a sidetrack reporting about uh, house community uh, noises behind walls and stuff like that. So do we want to jump back and try the news item again? Yeah. The second news that I have is that I think I mentioned it to you once that we Germans have this crazy asparagus obsession Like in the months of, I don't know, even when asparagus time starts, I think basically now-ish, it feels like 70% of Germans are freaking out that they can eat asparagus, probably because it's such a, it feels so special because it's limited time only. I think asparagus time is like for six weeks or something. The season is short. Yeah, it's it's a short period of time. And they love to eat it here. They all freak out. Like... (laughs) I say they because I don't feel like I'm part of the asparagus uh, group and (laughs) lobby. I like asparagus, but I don't freak out for it. (laughs) And I could certainly survive without asparagus. Obviously, I see that every farmer currently has a problem farming or harvesting their fruits and goods and vegetables and stuff. I do understand that. But we have currently have this rule of distancing and of not creating any dangerous situation for any field of work. So the craziest thing happened when it was clear, okay, we're entering harvest time for asparagus and no one is here to harvest, like all the workers are gone. And usually cheap labor is being imported from like other European countries, for example, Romania or Bulgaria, and then they probably work for shitty conditions uh, with no rights whatsoever. There's no work protection for these people. And now all of a sudden everyone is back in their homelands more or less. The borders in Europe are closed, which is also pretty intense. And our government, besides having handled the situation like generally quite well, all of a sudden gives a green light to basically, I say that with quote unquote, import Jeez. people from our poorer neighboring countries to come to work on our fields to fucking harvest our fucking asparagus. And the first Corona case happened, like one person died already. And it's, I think it's so, it's so disgusting. And it really makes me so mad to see that like the system is so fucked up and it doesn't even under this current situation try and become more human and more respectful. Yeah. It's just that's morally indefensible. And it's also so hypocritical when this amazing act of generosity to the Syrian refugees makes you think that the German government is better than most. So, yeah, I'm surprised to hear that they're actively condoning this. Yeah, also interesting to hear that you think so positively about the Germans when it comes to welcoming the Syrian refugees because, okay, this is news item number three, but only because you basically asked for it and we can label it differently. <laughs> um, there's a really like unhuman, terrible and undignifying situation happening on a Greek island called Lesbos in a refugee camp that is called Moira. And this camp was designed for 3,000 people and there's currently over 25,000 people living there and there has been so many calls for like closing that camp down and like get these people out of there because once corona hits that camp, it's going to be mm. 
unimaginably terrible, like medieval times. Basically, for the entire time that Corona has been happening, there has been really strong demands that these people are being saved and rescued and yeah. treated like humans. And only yesterday, after a lot of negotiation back and forth within Europe, was there a rescue flight to get and now sit down 47 children unaccompanied under the age of 18, I think, to Germany. I mean, there was also a few flown into other European countries. I think uh, Belgium or Luxembourg, I think, was really uh, in the forefront. But it's like 47 kids are being rescued out of 25,000 people who are living in that camp. I suppose because of Australia's really hardline um, attitude to, to refugees, it just makes me see you know, anything that's even slightly better uh, as um, something to, to praise because we've basically instigated a system that um, is inspiring, you know, really right-wing um, anti-immigration sentiment elsewhere. You know, like if Trump admires something that you do, you know something's wrong. Yeah, true. Um, this is all pretty heavy. I, I try and lift it back on a bit of a lighter step. I don't know how much you know about my romantic idea of having a romantic date in a drive-in cinema. But for basically my entire life, I wanted to go to a drive-in cinema and it never worked out. Either there was no boyfriend or there was no car or there was no drive-in cinema. So it was always one of these. And Corona, the rebirth of the drive-in cinemas now. And that is something that I'm finding very beautiful to imagine. So maybe all is not lost for me. And maybe I will do go to a drive-in cinema, either by myself or with a person who's sitting diagonally behind <laughs> me on the backseat. <laughs> driving miss daisy it's very very funny but yeah so who knows maybe drive-in cinemas maybe it's going to be the future of the arts and culture sector because god that is really freaking scary what's going to happen to that sector and especially what's going to happen to berlin which yeah. basically consists of no other economy than arts culture and tourism oh it's crazy isn't it hospitality yeah. so oh goodness yeah i know it's hard not to go back to the the slightly depressing uh, things <laughs> it's, <true>. because, <laughs> uh, it's just there's so much to choose from and the same thing is happening here with the government and you know all these funding bodies that have chosen this moment to basically slash funding in the art sector so mm. you know it's really, it's unbelievable. Anyway. Whoa. Um, so how about uh, something probably a bit more positive is the uh, the other element of this um, format, which is the, you know, talking about an artist or or some music or something. So I love it. Did you have anything? Yeah. Yeah, I love it. That's a very good way to try and get the curve, if that's the thing to say. I mean... Not talking about flattening a curve here, but just getting a curve out of the seriousness corner, you know? I brought music and how do we do that? I, I sent you the link and we can both listen to it at the same time on YouTube, maybe. But let me say a few words about the music that I picked. It's also a bit heavy hearted, but like heavy heart, beautiful heavy heart kind of thing, you know? Um, so the artist that I picked is Polly's Disaster. And uh, she's a singer-songwriter. And she also is from my hometown. And we have mutual friends. And that's how I know her and her music. And I've never managed to see her play live, but I really like to listen to her music. The song that I want to play from Polly's Disaster is called Where Will We Go? And it's very beautiful. I sent you the link now in the chat of our Skype conversation and should be there. I play it. Yep, I'm playing it too. Covering my eyes, I'm taking my book 
Really lovely. Yeah, I mean, it's not from the lightest corner of music, but I think it's a very, very beautiful song. She's also dealing or farewelling her grandmother. It just touches me a lot, that song. And interestingly, I mean, this is really pure coincidence, but yesterday was my grandmother's 91st birthday. If she would still be alive, she died last year. And I went to her grave, like I stopped on the way home to driving back to Berlin. I stopped at her grave and then drank an Eierlikör on her. Made from eggs, yellow, schnapps. Like advocate. Yes, like that stuff. So that was really nice. And it's a strange coincidence that the song that I had picked and I asked Anna, like the woman behind Polly's disaster if I would be allowed to play her song and I asked her like 10 days ago already um so that's pure coincidence that it actually gets so close to my own grandma Mimi yeah and also one more thing about Anna the woman behind Polly's disaster is that she also just founded together with some other colleagues an institution that is called MIM 
mental health and music. And I think it's really awesome. So she's, she's awesome, basically, in one word. And she's even very uh, politically engaged and is also supporting other artists who are struggling. So kudos to Anna, a.k.a. Polly's Disaster, for her beautiful song. Absolutely. And now I'm super curious to hear who, what you have brought with you. Well, I've sort of cheated because I would have liked to have brought a song to the table, but I didn't manage to. But So I'm going to talk about uh, the, the reason I say I'm cheating is because this is more of an event rather than an individual. But... Um, It's still interesting, I think, um, because uh, because I've moved to a new city, I still haven't really had the chance to explore because I've been doing up my house with my dad. Um, so I've got a lot of things on my list. And just as um, COVID came in, that was basically when I was at the point of, you know, being ready to see everything. So that was a bit frustrating. So Ballarat is in the middle of uh, a gold um, mining region. And it was at one stage the richest city in the world. So there was a lot of wealth and um, a lot of um, investment in, in infrastructure as well, including uh, churches. And um, throughout this region, apparently, there are really world-class organs in these churches. And so about 25 years ago, someone, an Italian organist called Sergio Di Pieri, um, decided that these sort of neglected, amazing um, organs should be part of a festival. So now there's an international festival um, for organ music, it, but it's also encouraging uh, young people, local talent to get involved as well. And so, yeah, I just thought it was an interesting thing and I hope to make it to the next one. That's so beautiful. So what, did they have to cancel the organ festival this year? I think they just scraped in. I think it was in January mm -hmm. and February. Um, but yeah, so they just scraped in for this year. So hopefully everything going well, it'll go ahead as normal next year. Cool. That sounds really, yeah, that sounds very sweet and very historic as well. And wow. Yeah. Beautiful. Can you send me a link, sh share a link with... Uh, yeah, I'll do that now. Balloretorgans.com.au. That's so nice. <laughs> It's also, it's so nice and it's also so surprising, like to... Yeah, I just really... To hear something like that from you, because, yeah, I thought it was going to be dancing music now. So, hey, hey, <laughs> <laughs> some organ dancing music. Um, can I play a little bit of our Jason and Kylie as an outro? <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Um You know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to deprive the world of our genius. Yeah, yeah, we shouldn't. We need to share. We should be generous with that. Anyway, <laughs> I think it was really beautiful to speak to you, Marty, and I think we will probably do that again. Mm, that'd be good. Cool. Okay. See you. Speak soon. Bye. Okay. All right. See you. Bye. This very first episode of Across was produced and edited by me, Kathleen Wächter. Thanks so much to my friend Marty to be on board. The music was composed by Claudine. Next week, I will be talking with my friend Alessandro in Milan. Follow Across on Instagram, across underscore 2020. You can send an email or a voicemail to podcastacross at gmail.com. Until next week, have a good one and stay safe.